How's it going today, guys? We're back here live again for another episode of Hot Takes with TP3. I am your host, Thomas Penland, joined by my co-host, Brett Baker. Brett, say what's up to the people. What's up, everybody? We got a great show today. I think that we're going to just open up, come in hot, just as the NBA did. The Rockets filed their complaint with the NBA referees, and you know what the NBA does. They give them Scott Foster. Probably the worst referee that Houston could have right now. And I think Houston has a problem right now. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to lie. When we were supposed to podcast yesterday, I was about to come in all pissed off about the officiating and everything. And quite frankly, I'm coming in today even more pissed off about the officiating and everything. Just the fact that they named Scott Foster, you know, to be on this officiating crew tonight. We've seen in the past what happened with him and James Harden, where James Harden had that post-game interview saying that, like, he didn't even want to talk about officials, but he's hard to deal with, hard to talk to. You know, he won't even talk to anybody. I think this is kind of the NBA's way of saying, screw you guys, after that story leaked yesterday of them. Um, analytically going through and breaking down that game seven and how that the NBA missed 81 calls on him. And I mean, I completely agree. This has always been my beef when everyone comes to me and says, oh, James Harden's not that good in the playoffs. I'm like, dude, you don't give him the same freaking calls you give him the regular season. Look, it'd be one thing if he's complaining about getting smacked here and there, but Clay Thompson literally was running him over. Like that's all, I don't, I'm assuming you saw the same memes I did on the internet of the guys coming top shelf with bringing the people's elbow and shit from WrestleMania, you know, like it, it was a, it was ridiculous. I mean, the thing is, I this is a completely unprofessional way to handle this situation as the NBA because this is a team that went through the formal steps to make a complaint towards officiating. They didn't go to the media first and complain. They went straight to the NBA. And you should handle that as if it's a complaint in a workplace. It's not something that you want to deal with, obviously, but... One thing you shouldn't do is slap them in the face with assigning a referee that doesn't get along with the Rockets. The Rockets don't get along with him. There's obviously beef between this referee and this organization, and they assign him. It's a slap in the face. It's, I mean, it's a middle it's a middle finger straight to the Houston Rockets, and I think it's the most disrespectful thing that the NBA has done. Usually we're not bad at the NBA. Usually we're mad with, you know, the NFL commissioner or whatever for doing whatever he does with things, but this is not a good look for the NBA at all. No, I agree completely. It's a terrible look for them. And look, like I can even understand Houston being mad about them running out and running into them on shots and stuff. But the thing that made me the most angry out of all of it. So at the end of the game, James Harden's dribbling the ball. He gets knocked out of bounds by Stephen Curry, which is obviously a foul, like obviously a foul. Yet they still don't call the foul. So that prevents Curry from picking up his sixth foul because he is five at this Mm -hmm. point. He comes down the court and hits the game winning three pointer pretty much and seals the game off for Golden State. But then the very next possession. And he tackles Eric Gordon out of bounds and it's not called. Yes. I mean, that's that's the one that really irritated me because not just because it wasn't called, but right after it, CP3 goes to complain even the slightest bit and he gets hit with his second technical of the night. I I don't know what CP3 said, obviously, but I cannot imagine that it's any worse than what Draymond says on a day. I don't think they could play, play it on play. TV. Let's yeah, put well, it that way. <laughs> Draymond Green probably does worse every single play. And I get that you can't, you know, give a technical every single play that Draymond Green, even though sometimes he might deserve it. But there has to be some type of a double-edged sword. I mean, it just seems so one-sided right now. And I think that if you're not a Warriors fan, I think that you're seeing how one-sided it is. And I think that it is quite obvious that 
there's, you know, an obvious rift. I mean, I, I'm, I don't think yeah, I'm and look, at all. I, yeah, no, you're not at all. I agree with you completely. And I mean, I could agree with the people who say, look, it's playoff basketball, you know, like there's going to be some no calls. I mean, yeah, there is. But when someone runs you over on a three pointer or tackles you out of bounds, I mean, like that's obviously got to be a foul. that has got to be called, you know, like I just I just really don't understand what the NBA is trying to do here. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me how they're not making these calls. I mean, you would think that they would want to help this series and make it go on longer. This is the best rivalry and best matchup they're going to have throughout the entire playoffs, I think. So, I mean, prolong this I think favors them also I mean I don't want to sit here and just talk about referees only let's talk about some other stuff that happened in this game I mean in this game of itself I I feel like Houston like I just don't think they've even played their best game and they still were in this game till the very end I mean, I mean PJ so, Tucker gets a goose egg you know Capella doesn't score I mean you got to think those guys can do better in the upcoming games I will say to the Warriors defense I don't think they're playing that great either I think that this game is uh or well rather the series is a lot of, it has an emotional base to it for sure so i don't mm-hmm. think we're going to get the best out of either teams necessarily we might get the best out of both teams on some nights but i don't think that this series is going to be you know your typical uh just play the series and see how it plays out this has got a lot of emotion behind it you know it's been a series that's gone to 7 in the past and i think that i mean every game is going to be different to have game one only have a total of 204 points scored is pretty shocking to a lot of basketball fans, I feel like, because, I mean, these are two teams that shoot lights out. I mean, they usually score a lot. But because it's such an emotionally played game at this point, you have no idea what might happen. Clay Thompson had a little bit of an off night. Uh, I mean, even Steph Curry had an off night, and I think that, this game can teeter-totter either way on any given point, so I cannot wait to see what the rest of the series holds. And to go back on the officiating, I think it only makes it more interesting. Yeah, well, also, here's here's the stat of the day for y'all right here. Nine out of the last ten times these two teams have played, they have gone under the total yeah. in these games. So, I mean, honestly, these two teams, when they play each other, you know, they change their style of play a lot. It's a lot more gritty. They both want to defend each other, you know, lock each other up. I mean, realistically, if you look at the box score, Golden State shot 50% from the field. Houston shot 41%. Golden State hit seven more field goals than Houston did, but Houston hit seven more threes. So, I mean, if you look at that, Golden State should still win that. You know, Golden State should still win a game like that. If you're Golden State. You shoot that much better from them from the field. You should win. And they out rebounded him 52 to 39 I think Capella's got to play better tonight I mean he did not play well I kind of liked how Golden State got Draymond going at the beginning of the game I'm think like three out of the first four buckets or Draymond Green buckets you know like I'm looking for Houston to kind of do something like that get someone else involved I mean you know Harden's gonna get his you know Gordon's gonna get his you know Paul's gonna Capella played really poorly he only had two shot opportunities and I think that the big thing that Houston needs to do is kind of use him on the pick and rolls like we've seen in the past. I mean, you you have to understand that he's a guy that's kind of like uh, he's kind of the type of player that's best when he gets to like move. You know what I'm saying? He gets to he gets some momentum going down court. I think that's when he's at his best. And Houston kind of uh, I guess. Last game, obviously, you're going to change style every single game, and he wasn't necessarily needed for the last game because it was such a, uh, I guess, 
guard type. It was a guard play game at the end there for at least. Yeah, but Houston kind of you know needs to change the tempo and yes. everything up so they can play with Capella. Like I felt like they kind of backed away from everything they're trying to do. Houston needs to come out and take it to them and get Capella involved early, or you know get Tucker involved early, get one of those guys going, get some extra contribution and, from guys. And I definitely understand that Houston likes to get out and run, but so does Golden State. So at times Houston definitely needs to slow the pace down a little bit, and Clint Capella is an awesome option for that and to kind of move on from the houston golden state we're going to be talking about it a lot over the next week wait wait wait. what's your final prediction on the series i think it goes to seven and it kind of is like the uh i mean i hate to do this but it's kind of like the 50 50 ball and when you get to seven i mean it's just kind of if it goes i mean it's probably going to go down to the wire and it could go either way because you have players like steph curry and kevin durant and you have players like chris paul and james harden on the other side and it just might come down to who has the ball last in my opinion but i'm going to go with houston just because i think that the inside presence is going to be felt later on in the series especially as you kind of get some grind and grit down and people start to kind of get fatigued uh, Golden State's only going to get weaker down low. And I think that Capella is just going to continue to get better and better as the series progresses. So I think that Houston's going to be my pick just because of that. Uh, I'm taking Houston in six. I mean, the way Kevin Durant closed out that game with 25 in the second half was crazy. But I think Houston's going to be able to steal one on the road, whether it's tonight or whether it's game five. I think they're going to steal one. I think Houston can pull this out in six games. I just like, I mean, like you said, I think they're going to be able to wear them down inside. I mean, I think Durant, though, Durant's the player that scares me the most in this series. I mean, Curry and Thompson didn't say. shoot the ball well. Curry hasn't played great in these last couple of games, but I've also seen Curry disappear in big time playoff series. But I mean, Kevin Durant really scares me. He's the guy who can change his series and take over. I mean, if he has another 50-point game like he did against the Clips, it's going to be tough to stop. But we'll move from there to the second game that is up tonight. Um, that's the Bucks celtics I mean, I'll, get, I'll start us off on this one. Look, I know I said the Bucks are going to sweep, wipe him off the floor. Honestly, that was the worst I've seen Milwaukee played, and that is their worst margin of losing all season long, let alone at home where they've been great. Um, just feel like that Milwaukee needs to get Malcolm Brogdon back. He'll be back in one more game, but I also feel like that the supporting cast needs to give Giannis something. Obviously, this, the Celtics kind of have this defensive mentality. Any but Giannis is going to beat us and those guys like Bledsoe and Middleton who played well in the regular season really didn't step up to the task I was very disappointed with what we saw from them I mean Kyrie Irving was lights out from start to finish he showed up and showed out what he had to do I mean the Celtics were stupid for even thinking that they could do it without him I also thought Al Horford played great at the defensive end I mean the Bucs definitely need to crack the Celtics defense they had a complex way of what they threw at at, uh, Giannis and it worked so I think it's the Bucs time to respond the best way to do that is with role players stepping up and brad stevens is a great coach i mean we've known this for a long time uh he's absolutely probably one of the best Mm -hmm. premier coaches in the league and you're gonna have bad games and the playoffs are all about how you adapt and i think that this is the first real test that the bucks have had and i think that of course you go through the pistons for four games you're gonna come out a little bit slower than normal because you didn't have to do all that much to beat the Pistons. So mm-hmm. I think that Boston kind of had a bit more of a defensive challenge with the Indiana Pacers in terms of, you know, coming out of a first round. They also went a little bit farther, they had less days off, which helps at the front end of the series because you're kind of already into the swing of the things. But I think that once Milwaukee picks back up the pace a little bit and kind of shakes off a little bit of that rust from the days off that they've had. I think that 
they're going to be fine. I, I still think that Milwaukee gets out of this in six. Although Kyrie does worry me a little bit uh, because he's a dominant player. He's most dominant in the playoffs. You never know when he might just absolutely control the tempo, the pace, and the scoring of every single outlet of a playoff game. And look... I think that that's the X factor in this factor is Kyrie Irving. Uh, if he has a bad game, I think that the Bucks win. If he has a mediocre game, I think the Bucks win. I think if mm-hmm. he even has a slightly above average game, I think the Bucks win. He has to play like he did in game one every single day. He had 26 points, 11 assists, 7 rebounds on 12 for 21 shooting. Weird thing is he did not shoot a free throw, which I think is an incredibly interesting fact. But, I mean, that's that's weird, right? Yeah, no, that absolutely is weird. Um, my thing is more for this game and what I watched is I want more out of Eric Bledsoe. Eric yeah. Bledsoe balled in the first round, averaging over 20 points per game. I mean, he looks like a beast. He's one for five in this game, four for six the free throw line. He needs to be more assertive, look for his shot more. You know, Bledsoe can get that penetration and drive to the hole like he did against Detroit. I think that that gives them a lot bigger advantage there. I mean, Middleton, I mean, five for 12, 16 points isn't bad, but I want closer to 20, 22, yeah. 24 for Middleton. I mean, I don't have a problem with Giannis shooting 21 shots like he did. I personally like that a lot, that he was assertive. I just think that these guys need to help him get better shots and make the Celtics respect them. But my biggest beef with the way Milwaukee played was getting out-rebounded. There should be no excuses there. Giannis and, and Lopez are both better rebounders than Horford and whoever they want to throw in there, whether they start – all those, you know, guard for, you know, like Marcus Morris, whether they want to do one of those lineups like that or they want to go with a bigger lineup. I feel like you have to be able to out-rebound them. I mean, if you have have Lopez and Giannis matched up against Morris and Horford, you can't get out-rebounded by 11 well, rebounds. The big thing is I think that you can't allow Kyrie Irving to get seven rebounds. I think that that shows just that you were outworked. I mean, they were straight mm-hmm. up outworked. I think the Celtics played, obviously, a more intense uh, style of basketball and I think it showed and it definitely showed in the box score I mean to be out rebounded is one thing but to allow players that aren't even down low post players that are traditional rebounders not I mean to have Kyrie Irving have seven rebounds is almost inexcusable so I think that the Bucks are definitely going to pick up the pace here I think that we're going to see them uh win game one and two or game two and three rather and I think Boston takes one more and I think they close it out with two games at the end See, I think we're leaning more towards seven in this series. Look, what I didn't account for with the Bucks is Giannis is still young. This is his first time getting out of the first round of the playoffs. It's really his first time trying to lead a team. Like we've always said, like I've always said in defense of James Harden, he never had a number two option until he got Chris Paul. Giannis, I mean, I thought Bledsoe and Middleton were ready to step up as number two options. I thought they were better than any Harden ever had. Clearly, these guys haven't yet. He needs a number two option to step up. Lopez can't be shooting four threes for his five field goals. I mean, I know that he's a center and he's good at shooting for threes but at the same time he's a center go bang in the post but ultimately I think that Milwaukee will come back and respond tonight I mean the Bucks only lost one back only had back-to-back losses one time all season long so I mean I think that plays a big factor into this but ultimately I think that Giannis's inexperience is going to hurt the Bucks in this series I still have the Bucks winning this one in seven but I mean I think that it could get tough I mean they can't they cannot lose tonight and they need to bring the intensity the Celtics came out and played a desperate style of basketball and I mean honestly the reason why I thought the Bucks would go through the East so much is I didn't think the Celtics could flip the switch but the Celtics scared me a lot and looks like they can flip that switch and our big thing with the Celtics was their uh, team chemistry issue and it looks like Mm -hmm. they have uh, kind of 
put some glue in there. I think they're playing all for one and one for all, and I think that they're looking pretty good. And I, I'm interested to see how it carries over to game two. Uh, I think that the Bucks definitely had a played at a disadvantage because they were, you know, had a lot of days rest. But we will move on from the Bucks series. Well, wait, wait, wait. One last thing I want to say to you is when Gordon Hayward plays like he did, five for eight off the bench for 13 points in 30 minutes of play. When Gordon Hayward plays like that, I mean, the Celtics are, in my opinion, are probably – they're arguably the best team in the NBA, but I mean, Gordon Hayward hasn't proved that he can play consistently he like that. Sure. So until then, I think the Bucks can win the series. But I mean, if Gordon Hayward's going to show up, man, and play like that, and Horford play that kind of defense, I don't know of anybody that can beat them because I know Kyrie's going to show up every single time. He's Kyrie Irving. So we'll keep I, it moving. I mean, we're trying to be quicker for you all this podcast because I mean, y'all know me and Brett could sit here and we, we yeah. could look up and it could be yeah, three sir. o'clock. We've Long been sitting time. here talking about these games. We could talk about these games for three hours each. All right, let's move here now to a game we watched last night and that was the 76ers on the road in Toronto getting the win I'll let you start out on this one Brett what was your takeaways from this one and who do you think is going to come out in this series and win man I am I'm I really like this series I'll tell you that much I think that uh Kawhi is definitely just showed how dominant of a player he is uh he's in a premier matchup with Jimmy Butler doesn't seem to affect him all that much he's playing absolutely outstanding uh, 35 points in game two on 13 for 24 shooting so efficient and I think that this game is really this whole entire series is going to come down to those star players and I know that sounds you know predictable and cliche but mm-hmm. I mean this is a this is a game that went 94-89 and I mean 60% of this both scores both scoring totals were their star players I mean you had 30 from Jimmy Butler. You only got 12 from Joel Embiid, who was dealing with what, quote-unquote, the shits. And Yeah, that was hilarious. I can't even Absolutely Even if I was doing that and I'm a clown like Embiid, I'm not going to say that. I know, dude. I'm telling you. It's absolutely crazy. So if you take in Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, in a game in which they scored 94, they still, I mean, even with Ben Simmons having only six points, they – you know, combined for, you know, 40 to 50% of the scoring output. And I think that this game is just going to come down to uh, your star players. And I think that Siakam and Leonard are playing at, you know, the peak of what you would expect from them. And I think that them two alone make me lean towards the Raptors. I know that they, the 76ers did slide in and steal a game right there but I think that this is another series that goes down to seven I mean I I really do and uh I think this is one of the best second rounds that we've seen in a long time as far as series that have potential to go down to seven I mean even the next series that we're going to talk about I feel like might go to seven as well and I think that it's extremely interesting I'd like to see uh Boban get a little bit more minutes out of that uh, second game, even though they still won, I think that he's a very helpful person off the bench. So we'll we'll see. Uh, this one's kind of one of those uh, kind of see as we go, take a day by day series, especially because we really never know how players are going to play. I mean, Ben Simmons can go out there and drop thirty, but he can also drop six. And I think that 
same thing goes with Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid. They're yeah, well, I mean, B- Butler played so bad, and he was a lot more aggressive in this game. But I still like Toronto. I mean, they shot 36% from the field. They couldn't throw it in the ocean the first half, scoring 17 and 21 points. I mean, I just don't see Toronto having a half that bad again and shooting that badly again. I mean, Philadelphia out-rebounded them by eight rebounds. They shot 26 free throws to their 15. I mean, all those things pointing out Toronto was in the game till the very, very end. I think Embiid is really seriously hurt, too. He said he's having having like therapy and all that stuff on his knees. Six, six treatments not, a day on his six, knee. Yeah, six treatments a day. That's way too many. I don't think Embiid is built to last and be able to play the minutes they need him to play. I mean, he only played 32 minutes last night. Toronto couldn't throw it in the ocean. I mean, Danny Green was one for he was one for eight from the field, one for six from three, missed like four wide open threes in the fourth quarter. I don't think that happens again for Danny Green. Especially also, uh, I will say this though. I will say this, though. Kyle Lowry played awful throughout the game, but in the fourth quarter, he kind of showed up. I think he had eight or ten fourth-quarter points. I was kind of impressed a little bit with the way Lowry played. I also think the way Marc Gasol defends and beat inside, he was one for seven in game one. I don't know what he was last night with Gasol on him, but I know it wasn't great when Gasol was in the game. He was abusing Serge Ibaka. Ibaka had a negative 12 plus minus. Gasol was plus seven. But, I mean, I think the way the Raptors play that this series will favor them. I mean, like you said, Siakam's he didn't shoot the ball well in the first half but he picked it up in the second half Kawhi still gave him 35 they really don't have an answer for Kawhi he didn't shoot it great either three of ten from three you know I just feel like the Raptors had a That's bad so game crazy about Kawhi time. though yeah I think he the Raptors shoot it well and he still was 13 there. for 24 yeah, but I mean, he was, well, he was three for 10, but 13 for 24 in the field. I mean, yeah. he's getting a lot better looks from the field, but he had six assists too, which is what I like to see Kawhi moving the ball because that was one of my knocks on him. But I think at the end of the day, the Raptors have the best player on the floor. I think that this is a series that the Raptors are going to win. I don't think it'll be handily in all these games, but I think that they're going to be able to win this series over, overall. You know, I just feel, I just like them at home. You know, I think they'll be able gonna to get, get that. Dude, I'm trying to mute it. <laughs> Well, anywho, I think that uh, one thing that I do before we uh, move on from this series, one thing that I do want to mention is the fact that whoever was doubting Kawhi Leonard after all that he's done in the NBA and after all he you know, went through with the Spurs at the end there and people started to say that they didn't think he was you know, the premier, premier player that we thought he was, I think they are completely proven wrong. I think this man is probably one of the most efficient players in the NBA. I think that a lot of people are pointing towards Kevin Durant playing the best basketball in the playoffs, and I think it's Kawhi Leonard. I mean, he's played an all-around game. Uh, he doesn't have the star power on the floor like the Golden State Warriors do, so he has to create shots for himself, and he's done just that. At one point, you know, Drake even said you he, he, he's unstoppable. You can't guard him. He's playing against the premier defender at this position. And he's walking in the park, man. I mean, it's incredible to watch. I cannot wait to watch him a little bit more during this playoffs. I hope they advance just so we can watch Kawhi Leonard at the next level. I think he's solidified his top three in the NBA. I, I really do. His defense. Uh, his I got package. Kawhi sitting about like I'd probably put him in front of Paul George now, but I mean I still got Kawhi sitting about six or seven as Man, the top player in the league. The whole package is absolutely incredible, and to to move on from this against the best defender, this man has had. Who's the best defender that's guarding him? Simmons was guarding him last night, not Butler. I mean, this is the best possible matchup in terms of defense that you could have as a shooting guard. I mean, it's a horrible matchup. 
If you think about it, I don't know. I think Leonard's way bigger than Butler and he's more crafty in the offensive end. Like, I feel like he's just going to turn his back and back up to him and use that to make like a spin move, make a pass, you know, get a, get a nice fadeaway deep two that, you know, like that he wants deep in the, deep in the painted area. Here's my point. So can we both, can we both agree on the fact that this is a premier defensive matchup against the 76ers either way? I mean, these are two good defenders. Yes. I mean, yeah, they're they're both two good defenders, but I feel like this Philadelphia is not a great defensive team. I feel like Philadelphia wants to run. Well, position-wise, I feel like the they're, Raptors they're good just couldn't hit shots. The Raptors had plenty of opportunities. Position-wise, they are good defenders, I think though, Butler correct? and Simmons are. The Red, Redick, mm, well, That's Embiid, the only person I mean, that's really going to defend him, and even those are the only two that are going to f- defend him. If J.J. Redick gets on him, it's an obvious mismatch that wasn't yeah. so, supposed to happen. But here's Vice my point. too slow. He has... 80 points in two games, and he has only three turnovers. And I think that it's just a testament to how great he is. And I, I'm all on the Kawhi Leonard boat, and that's just how I feel about the situation. So I, I, I think that he's really going to turn some heads for the next you know, couple weeks here. I think that Toronto gets out of this series, especially because, like you said, Joel Embiid is their best player. He's not built to last. He's only going to get worse as the series progresses. Unless, you know, a miracle happens. But six treatments a day on your knee is not something you want, especially on a basketball court. So my final my final little uh, touch to this series is that the Raptors are going to take this in six to seven. I don't think uh could be a seven-game series, but it just all depends on the supporting cast around Kawhi and Pascal Siakam uh, and how specifically Kyle Lowry plays. But I'm I'm not worried for the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, I'm not worried for the Raptors either. All right, let's move here now to the last game before we start talking a little NFL draft here. And that was the Blazers-Nuggets, which was on late last night. And this was a game, you know, Denver, I mean, Portland played them well in the first half. Denver came out, though, in the third quarter and really pulled away. Third quarter is kind of considered Damian Lillard's quarter. But for them just to come out, I felt like it pulled away in that quarter was – it was kind of surprising. I mean, Lillard dropped 39 points last night. Canner had – I thought Canner played really well on 26 with that separated shoulder. I don't know, though, if Canner can last in this series. Mm-hmm. But also, I just felt like that – like that I was saying all day on Twitter that I felt like that the Nuggets had the mismatch inside. I mean, you look at this. Millsap, 7 for 12, only shot two three-pointers, 19 points. Jokic, 37, 9 and 6. I mean, those two guys, they knew they had the mismatch. And they went and took it to them. I also said I felt like that – I mean, obviously, Portland has the mismatch with the guard. But I don't think it's as big as the inside mismatch is. And Jamal Murray made up for it last night. 23 points, 8 assists. I mean, when Jamal Murray and Jokic play like that, it's pretty much impossible to beat the Nuggets in Denver. I do I do love that we're getting another, uh, I guess, duo matchup. Because the main duo for uh, you know Denver is going to be Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray. And then you're going to have McCollum and Lillard. Murray and Jochik just outplayed the duo for tra- the Trailblazers. Uh, I mean, every time that the Trailblazers got down by a lot, they did mount a comeback to an extent. So that's reassuring. But I really respect Ennis Cantor's ability to play well, even injured. Uh, 11 for, for 14 with a separated shoulder is absolutely awesome. Uh, seven rebounds, 26 points. Good for that guy. I love that. I love the effort out of him. But I think the person that really impressed me in this game uh well I guess persons was the supporting cast for the Nuggets I mean 
Beasley had a lot of great shots at the end there. He helped them pull away, uh, hit a three, uh, got his own miss, and put one up late in the game to uh, kind of solidify the win. I think that if you know Gary Harris is hitting those acrobatic layups and hitting his shots when they need them to, I think the, the Nuggets are almost unbeatable because— Yeah, that layup was crazy. Yeah, that I've layup was wild. Seen Boy, very few like that. Joshik and Murray— and even Millsap, they're going to get theirs. Uh, if they have a bad game, obviously that happens. But for the most part, they're pretty consistent. They're going to get theirs. I think it all has to do with the Nuggets supporting cast. And I think that they played really well in game one. Uh, really spread out scoring right there. Six points, four points, nine points, nine points from their bench. And I think that that's a really important factor for them if they can get pre- or some good minutes out of their bench. I got two big stats for you here. Here's my first one. The Blazers are 2-17 and 17 in their last 19 road playoff games. So, I mean, the Blazers have not been playing well on the road in the playoffs. I mean, you got to think about it this way. They had the home court advantage against OKC. They did get him, They did get kind of run off the court in Game 3, Game 4. Obviously, they came back and beat OKC. But I don't look at OKC as disciplined of a team as Denver is. I feel like Denver, you know, is always going to play within the team. They're never going to be one individual trying never to gonna play hero, go, go – yeah, like Westbrook always tries to do. Um, Denver also since inserting Torrey Craig into the starting lineup in Game Four against um, San Antonio. Uh, ever I'm since then, to this stat right now. Yeah, ever since then they've lost one time. So I mean, with Torrey Craig oh, on the floor man. and and, fo- and five. No, they're four and one. I mean, I could look that up and look up what that is later. But stat I mean, Torrey guy. Craig. Yeah, where's our stat guy when we need him? Once again, <laughs> says Torrey Craig. Though I mean, he hit a three last night, but they don't care about that. He's out there to play defense, and he was matched up on Lillard a lot. But I mean, Lillard's uh, Lillard's like Kawhi Leonard and all these other guys. You can't really stop him. You can slow him down, but you can't really stop him at the end so, of the day. But I just think I just feel like this this. This presence inside is just way too big. I mean, for the, I thought I like watching that game last night. I was thoroughly impressed with Ennis Canter. I mean, I know that his team didn't mm-hmm. win or anything, but I mean, he was so outmatched inside by the depth and the big men that that is on the side of Denver. Yet they were out rebounded him, and I thought Canter played a great game. Like, I mean, he was eleven for fourteen from the field. I mean, you saw him have that one dunk, and he pointed to his head, and he's like, "I got to be smarter than that man." But I mean, he had twenty six points last night. I don't think you can ask for much more from Ennis Canter. No, you definitely can and you might not get 26 points every night out of him and exactly the big thing here is if you do get 26 points out of Ennis Cantor as a team if you're Mo Harkless if you're Aminu you have to score more than two points a piece I mean you just absolutely have to especially with Rodney the best potential uh, neither of these teams can be Houston or Golden State, but I would give Denver first figured it out. Their offensive efficiency and their offensive number ratings have all gone up game by game in the playoffs so far. I think last night was their best offensive game yet. Um, playing that long series didn't seem to hurt them, but I mean, I don't think Denver. I mean, Denver's o- was over four against Houston over the last like three seasons. Denver's been absolutely awful against Houston, so I don't yeah, give them much a of a chance there. Yeah, and then after they beat the Warriors game one, the Warriors beat them by 20-plus every game after that. So I mean, And I will I, say, if there is one team that Denver matches up better with, it's the Warriors, just because that inside mm-hmm. presence. So if you're Denver, you probably are rooting for the Warriors if you get through this series. But I really don't think either of these teams. I think what we're seeing the conference finals in the second round right now, in my opinion. Uh, so 
that's something to keep an eye out on. But I think I've wrapped up, or we've wrapped up everything that we can talk about with the NBA playoffs and its current state. We well, I mean, less... we could talk about it. Oh more, yeah, we definitely but... could for sure. But <laughs> yeah, we have the less serious to talk about, so that helps you guys in terms of not listening to us just go off for about forty-five minutes. So. We're going to move into something that we haven't really talked about since our pre-draft talk. We're going to talk a little bit about the NFL draft. I don't really have much on this one just because I'm just kidding. I do. There's a lot to talk about. But the Cowboys had like four four picks. So, I mean, what's up? Let me let me start here and ask you this. We'll kind of we'll, – we'll jump around, ask each other some questions, you know, kind of move everything around. Look – do you think? Do you agree with me on this? Kansas City was probably the biggest loser of the entire weekend. Um, well, whew. considering hey. their off the field stuff, uh, it, I feel for I really do feel for Kansas City because they've lost two of their star players due to their inability to stay quiet off the field. I mean, all you have to do when you're making millions of dollars playing in the NFL. It's just be a normal person. That's all you have to do. It's not that hard. You just go to the gym, you go do your thing on the field, and you stay quiet. And for whatever reason, they have not been able to do that. And it is sickening. I mean, it really is. And if I'm the Kansas City Chiefs, I am grossly sickened because, I mean, you've lost. It's unexplainable how much you've lost on on the field due to off-the-field issues and Tyreek Hill man it's undeniably undeniable how great he is he's absolutely outstanding on the field but I mean this guy is he doesn't deserve to be on the football field in all honesty with all that he's done with the tape that he I agree I mean he doesn't deserve to be in the NFL I mean sadly they're in a lose-lose situation because they're going to cut him because they have to. I mean, they really do. Mm-hmm. They have to make. And he, he'll never play again. After I heard him say, "You should be scared of me too," I was like, "Wow, that's it right there." That's where I'm. But I mean, disagree with I, you though. He's gonna play again. It's a lose lose. The NFL doesn't value it. I mean, the NFL. T- some team is gonna take a chance on him. He's gonna go and be successful there again. It just sucks for the Chiefs because they have to. Yeah, I don't there think he's gonna play of- again. I feel like he's done. He's had so many problems with it. The NFL's been trying to crack down on it. I mean, Kansas City's definitely gonna have to cut him because of the, you know, the, the how they've been in the past with stuff like this and trying to, you know, Andy Reid likes giving guys second chances, even giving Michael Vick one who shouldn't even have gone to jail. But that's another story for another day. Especially for. But yeah. To, yeah, but to continue on just what happened with Kansas City, look, this is why I think that it's such a bad thing for them. So, first off, they trade their first and second round pick to give out and get a defensive end and Frank Clark from the Seahawks. So this guy's on a big, on a fat contract. So they could have easily drafted somebody who's almost as good as him or can do just about the same thing for way less money. Instead, they went out and spent the extra money. So now their cap is getting hit more. They don't have their first two picks. Then they're arguably their best offensive weapon is done. So they can't even do anything about going out and replacing him and try to get like Marquise Brown or something like that to replace him, you know, on the edge. So they I just feel like Nicole- every- they did get Miko Hardman from out of Georgia, and I think that while he's not I like mean, he's not the flashy pick, obviously, but I think that that is a panic pick for sure, one hundred percent. I don't think, I think that Hardman he has the will opportunity have to be pretty good though. And, and I don't think he'll have twenty five catches this season. I think, I think he's that they're surprise you. In an I Andy think Reed type I, situation, that's the ideal situation for him to be in. 
Yeah, I mean, it definitely is the ideal situation for him to be in. I really don't know what the next move is. They might have to go make another trade. I mean, so they might try to pick someone up who gets cut. You know, it's, it's going to be weird to see what they try to do. If I were them, I'd probably try to get Des Bryant and any kind of formidable free agent in there to see who's got anything left in them. Yes. But ultimately, I mean, I just feel like everything kind of fell apart in Kansas City's face. I felt like they were a team that was that, you know, could probably win the AFC and stuff. Now, I mean, it's going to be even tougher and harder for them. But at the same time, we'll find out the resilience of Patty Mahomes and Andy Reid to see if they can plug something in this offense. You know, I also do feel like this Andy Reid offensive system is one of those (coughs) offenses where you can find, you know, production no matter who's in there. So, you know, I I do agree with you in a sense with that. I just don't know if Michael Hardman's the answer. But, I mean, I felt like Kansas City was a big loser this weekend. What's what's one of your biggest takeaways so far from the draft weekend? I hate to say it. uh, I know that people laughed at the pick. Uh, I, I really do think the Giants had a pretty good first round. I know that that Daniel Jones pickup obviously shocked some people. I looked at some highlights, and he makes big league throws. He makes big-time throws. He's a big red zone guy, big long ball guy. That's what the Giants thrive on is the long ball and the back corner end zone. I mean, he knows how to place the ball. While that's not my favorite pick of the first round, I think that they did a great job after that. They got Dexter Lawrence at a great Mm -hmm. value at 17. They also traded up into the very end of it to draft DeAndre Baker, who has played both Dexter Lawrence and DeAndre Baker have played in all the big games you went out of a guy coming out of college, and they had a big impact in those games. And I think that DeAndre Baker is one of my favorite corners in this draft. I really do feel like he's one of those guys that can really make a pound on the field. And I think he did a good job both playing the team. I mean, this is my favorite Cowboys fan, so I know why it's not crazy. I'm sure you guys, and I hate the Niners, everything. But I do like Cowboys. I like Cowboys. I mean, they're almost fighting incredible. I've been there for 20 years. That's what's going on in the team. And I think he's going to be a good one as well. Yeah, but what else? I'll get concerned about the competition. I mean, this was a chance. I kind of hands out against the Seal. I thought the Redskins had a great drafting. Haskins. Madits, look, I I don't doubt that Daniel Jones can play, and this is the point I was trying to make to everyone on Twitter who's too stupid to understand what I was trying to say. I agree with you, the fact that Daniel Jones can play. I don't think he's ready right off the bat, but I don't think he was worth the number six pick. I think you could have easily gotten him on the second day, or you could have gotten him number 17, or you could have gotten him later on in that first round, even if you had to trade back in, into the first round to get him. I thought taking him at six was kind of foolish. I mean, the fact that they said they're between him and uh, Drew Locke, and you saw Drew Locke fall to – Drew Locke, I believe, was in the second round. Yeah, second yeah. round of Denver, so I mean – I definitely agree I, with you. It was definitely a reach. You could have got somebody else for sure. But look, I mean, would you seemed, rather have Ed Oliver in there, or would you rather have Daniel, or would you rather have Dexter? You know what I mean? It's basically like they picked well, Dexter. I mean, Morris you could have had both. Pick. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like you could have. You see, if I was the Giants, I would have got three. De- I mean, I would have gotten bolstered my defense up with three defensive players. But I just feel like Daniel Jones there, not the right pick. I wasn't but, a fan of that. I mean, they Actually, got their guy. That was their guy, and uh, evidently, I mean. Drafting the quarterback is all about culture fit. And if they thought that that was a culture fit, then, I mean, you can't doubt them. I know a lot of people are doubting them, but, I mean, we're just going to have to live and see. I mean, it's just uh, how it is. Also, another thing for me, too, with quarterbacks like this, though, is, I mean, Daniel Jones still got some questions to answer. He's still got a lot of getting better to do in order to be on that level that he's worth that kind of pick. And I feel like with all this negative attention and negative media already on it, it's going to already – I mean, he's definitely going to have a chip on his shoulder. But at the same time, I don't know how confident Daniel Jones is in himself or his abilities. So, I mean, they better hope for damn sure that he's got that, you know, that <laughs> mindset that he's going to turn his hate – to turn all this into motivation rather than let it go the other way and doubt himself. Because, I mean, if he doubts 
doubts himself at all, it's over like that. I mean, we've seen it happen to so many quarterbacks. You doubt yourself at all, it's over like that. It's a head game in the National Football League, especially at that position. But I actually thought the Ravens had a really great draft. Team whose draft I really like, Marquise Brown and Justice Hill. I mean, Justice Hill is a thousand-yard rusher at Oklahoma State. He tore defenses up. He can catch the ball too, really well. I mean, Marquise Hollywood Brown. This, I mean, you you Perry, went, you went in it on it. I'll let you talk about him. I know that's your boy. Yeah, I do love Marquise Brown. I think that uh, pairing him with Lamar Jackson is absolutely perfect. Uh, I mean, as far as having you know your end arounds, your your entire package uh, I think that really helps him I think that he's a very versatile you know piece in that offense and I think that pairing him with Lamar Jackson is absolutely brilliant I think that he's going to make a huge impact in year one and look this is a Ravens team that the door is wide open for them I mean as far as obviously the Browns are scary they're intimidating for sure but you're going to see the end of the day or end of days for the Steelers right now. I don't think that they're going to be, you know, as formidable as they have been in the past. I'm not saying that they're a bad team by any means, but this division is wide open. And I think getting somebody that can make a huge play in terms of uh, as a wide receiver, I think that that's huge. And they've lacked that in the past for sure. And mm-hmm. I think that I'm 100 percent. I think that's probably going to be the most competitive division in football. Or one of wow. them. Wow. See, I think I think it's still the uh, NFC the, South uh, is right there. Good old NF, NFC South is yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Devin White at five for the Buccaneers, I thought was a great pick. I think he's gonna be like Deion Jones. I think he's like Luke Keekley, that middle linebacker who makes plays all over the field. You know, who's make any any Before kind of you play. Move you know, Devin. That, what I just I want to say, I absolute linebacker is my favorite spot on the field. I love watching it. Like, that's my favorite position on really? the football field. I'm serious. I'm like a linebacker junkie. And I love how many awesome, like, to-the-ball defenders that we're going to get. Those linebackers that are all over the field, you know, your, your Roquan Smith, White right your Devin White, your, even Leighton Vander Esch was like that. I mean, mm-hmm. even Jalen Smith for the Cowboys. I mean, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, you're going to get – you're seeing more and more, and I think that this is great for the NFL. Yeah, now that division has three teams with three with probably. I mean, Devin White's not there yet, but I think he will be one of those top five he middle dominated. linebackers. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He's going to be dominant for sure. Uh, I actually thought the Cardinals. Look, I give the Cardinals an A plus plus for their mm-hmm. draft. Yeah. I actually love their draft. I mean, getting Kyler Murray with that first pick was great. Second round, you go out and get probably the best player who didn't go in the first round with Byron Murphy. I thought that was a great pickup. I mean, if you just look at the rest of the guys they add later on, like I thought, thought I, I love the Hakeem Butler pick on day four. I mean, I thought that was great. The fact that you can get another young receiver like Hakeem Butler in there. I mean, this is a guy people had going first round before the season started. I mean, he was all, you know, he's been all that. All we, we've been hearing about him so much. Felt like the fact that you got him and Christian Kirk, who, were gonna, who they got in last draft, you can learn more from Larry Fitzgerald, probably top five best wide receivers to ever play the game. You know, I feel like that's a great thing that they got going on there. I felt like Arizona got value with every single pick they took on the board and I loved what they did. I think my favorite uh draft you know i guess uh favorite team to be like Mm -hmm. you know with the value that they had uh and how well they picked i think that the patriots absolutely did an outstanding job i think that you know nikhil harry was a great pickup that's a great fit for them i think that uh he'll be 
an impact maker right off the jump. They also got Chase Winovich, who he's a grinder, man. He's that type of player that the Patriots like. I mean, like, I know that you're saying, like, oh, well, they didn't pick any necessarily crazy, flashy picks, but they got culture fits, and I think that the Patriots are notorious for that. And they got the, you know, the typical Patriots players, and I think that even Damian Harris uh, allows you to have some leeway if he starts performing well. You can kind of let James White walk. But Damian Harris can't catch the ball, and Brady loves throwing the ball to receiving backs, you know? Like, I Dude, feel like that. What are you I don't saying? like that pick at what, all. What are you saying? Listen, you have. We have the Patriots who have James White out of the backfield receiving the balls. You have Rex Burkhead as a receiver. You don't need another receiving running back because you need somebody that can finish on the goal line. You have- but it takes that element of Brady's game away, you know? Like, I, I, I just didn't really like that pick for that reason. I also feel like that, I mean, the Patriots, we've heard a thousand times, they have the most complex system in the league to learn. I mean, I think Nikhil Harry will be a beast in the system. I don't know how effective he'll be early, but I feel like the Patriots didn't take a tight end, and that's obviously the biggest problem on this offense. I mean, we know how much Brady loves third his tight ends and he doesn't have Gronk his security his safety blanket in there anymore I mean I thought the Patriots had a decent draft but it's just not exactly what I wanted to see from them I gave him an A plus I think that uh it's like one of those situations where you can never doubt Bill Belichick and his you know his mindset is unparalleled I think that they did pick up Austin Safari and Jenkins I think that well that might not be you know, a long-term fix. I think that it works for their system. I think that he's a great pickup for them. And I think that it allowed them to draft in other ways to make their team better. And they just got deeper. That's the main thing for them, especially with a championship team. You also have a guy that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick work so well together. And I think that they've really just they did a good job at the value they had because they didn't have any crazy value. They didn't have any really options to get like incredibly better. I think that the fact that they use their picks for culture fits is absolutely awesome. And uh, Jojuan Williams is a huge cornerback, 6'4". He can fill a variety of roles for that secondary, and I think that that helps them a lot. And we'll see. I mean, I think that they got the culture fits that they wanted, and I really like their pick. See, I felt like that the best. I really like what the Cardinals did, but I feel like the best teams in terms of using picks to help them win more. I think Jacksonville adding Josh Allen. I mean, the fact that they got arguably the best pass rusher on that defense. I mean, I think that the, just the way they let Malik Jackson walk and then they replace him with a player who's going to be better than him and makes way less money. I thought was great. I think Ed Oliver will do a great job replacing Kyle Williams in the middle of that Buffalo defense. I think Buffalo is going to have a decent season this year. Thought Pittsburgh though getting Devin Bush. I really really liked that move right there I feel like Pittsburgh you know people forget that it's the steel curtain defense man they've always been about having that middle linebacker in there you know that's what Steelers have been known for is having that that historic linebacker whether it's Larry Foote whether it's uh Joey Porter I mean there's so many more I'm not a, I'm not a 40 year old so I can't don't know all those names like that but those are just the ones that come to mind for me but I think Devin Bush will be the next great linebacker but ultimately I think the teams that have players that will help them win next season I think will end up being the Ravens and the Packers and the Colts I feel like those three teams have picked the most value at their picks and players that we can see them turn into winning products in this next season. I mean, I honestly like the, uh, I mean, you're going to, you might have some things to say about this, but I kind of like the Raiders draft picks, honestly. I mean, with the I liked them. The reach in the first and the fourth pick was something that you have to kind of. I don't think it's a reach. Well, it's not a crazy reach by any means, but 
it's definitely a Gruden pick. And I think that you have to just understand that this guy coaches football teams based on, you know, the style of play and the type of character that he values. And I think that he went and got his guy. He went and found his guy. He also got Mm -hmm. a running back that can really help them. I think that Josh Jacobs is a talented running back. I think we talked about him being the only true first-round running back, and I think they went and got him. They also got Jonathan Abram, and I think that that's huge for them. I think that they bolster up their defense a little bit. And in reality, I think that they did their job pretty well in terms of, you know, they got their draft picks that they wanted. Uh, They had to trade some players away. They opened up a lot of cap space. I think that they have a two-year fix and plan. I think they have a two-year plan that's going to work. And like I said, man, I texted you right away, and John Gruden I trust. Yeah, I mean, Clean Farrell balled out in the in those Final Four national championship games, so I think that's more so what it was. But, I mean, there was never a doubt that he could play, you know, so I thought they yeah. did a good job. I like the 49ers getting Jalen Hurd and getting uh, Debo Samuel, kind of get some weapons in there for Garoppolo. Actually, you know what? You, you, so I know you remember how high I was on this player, and that would be my boy running back from Memphis, baby, going to <laughs> – I could not believe the Rams took a running back, you know? Like, you're like, it's third round. The Rams need something here. But, I mean, they went out and they and they got uh, Jarrell Henderson. So, I mean, I think he's going to do a it great job running. It makes me wonder. It seriously does make me wonder what the situation with Todd Gurley is. Because I know we saw that uh, he's dealing with some a little bit of arthritis in his knees. I think that, I mean, that's a... That's a worrisome situation. I think that yeah, they even the traded fact, up to get him. Yeah, too. the fact that they traded up to get him in the third round is something that needs to stand out. I think mm-hmm. that his you know disappearance in the NFL playoffs was worrisome as well. And I I love Todd Gurley, I really do. So I'm hoping it's nothing too serious. Too serious. I hope he can get over it. But definitely worries me for the Todd Gurley fans out there, especially myself. Yeah. I- I think Darrell Henderson will have the ball a lot. I think he could get close to a thousand all-purpose yards. Because, I mean, he can catch it and he can run it. So I mean, you I saw think how that little bowling ball. C.J. Anderson did. That little that's what I'm saying. Line. Like now, a guy like Henderson who can actually break tackles and keep running. Great pick. You know, I like the Bears, too, getting David Montgomery. I remember you really high on him from Iowa mm-hmm. State. Can do it all as a running back, too. I mean, I thought the Bears got good value. You know, I thought, like, that these that in this draft, this was more the draft where in, the like, the third and fourth round is where you would want to attack those, like, offensive playmakers, like the Hakeem Butlers, like the running backs, like Devin Singletary from Florida Atlantic, like Darrell Henderson we are just talking about, you know, like like uh, Jalen Hurd, you know, like that. This was These were more so the rounds where you wanted to go out and get these offensive and guys. This is the, they also were able to uh, fill the gap with, you know, Jordan mm-hmm. Howard uh, departing. And they also picked up Riley Ridley, uh, who... I actually do like Ridley. Might not be, like, the flashy pick, but I think it, I think he's a good fit for them as well. And I think he's a wide receiver that can do a lot for them. No, absolutely. Um, before we... we do, before we um, kind of wrap things up with the draft, it's the draft, so obviously I must talk about my team... And that would be the Atlanta Falcons. I and I thought so. the Falcons did a great job in the draft. Look, I know a lot of y'all hate the picks. Like, oh, we need defensive ends. We need pass rushers, this, that, and the other. Look, we do. But I don't know if y'all remember or not. This season, Matt Ryan got sacked the least. He had his offensive line healthy all his season long. Was the year we went to the Super Bowl. And I don't want to talk about what happened in the Super Bowl. But that was his MVP season. If these two offensive linemen we United drafted. You night kinged it, man. You night kinged it. 
Chris, shut up. Chris Lindstrom. And I'm, I'm, if we were in the same room right now, we'd be fighting. So it's you a good thing we're over Skype. Three lead. Caleb McGarry, I think, are doing a great job on our offensive line. I mean, I especially like McGarry from Washington. Great story about him. Basically came from, grew up from nothing. Even the trailer he lived in burned down as a kid. This guy's going to be hungry, ready to protect Ryan with his life. You know, I, I love what the Falcons did, honestly, in the draft. Thought we had a good draft. I like how we got these running backs, too, later on. We got our big bat from Pitt. We got kind of our speedier back. I mean, we got defensive. We got that defensive end from Charleston. Guys, real fast sideline from sideline, which is a good thing for defensive ends to have speed as well as quickness, you know. So I feel like the Falcons had a good draft. I mean, obviously, we we used our picks early in that in those first two round, in that first round. But I mean, I like the fact we traded back in and protected Ryan. I mean, you could say, oh, we could have got those guys later, but at the end of the day, we did what we had to do, and I like it. Hey, I mean. Uh- I don't have any real complaints with the uh, Falcons. Uh, I mean, listen, the Falcons, whether you want to believe it or not, over the past 10 years, the Falcons and the Cowboys have been pretty similar teams in terms of what they struggle with. And one of the big things that they have struggled with in the past is keeping that quarterback safe. And you've seen these two teams have really great seasons at times. And every season, there's been one big correlation, and it's you know protecting the quarterback. So, as far as a relatable stance, and from my stance, I feel like you know making it an emphasis to protect Matt Ryan, who is your MVP quarterback, who the stupidest of Atlanta Falcons fans always want to blame him. It's not on him. It's definitely he's a great quarterback. I think that making a, an emphasis to protect him not only shows him that. Sh- the Falcons are all on his side behind him. It also helps you in every aspect because if he's throwing the ball downfield, it weakens up that defense and your running game gets going. And I think that this is huge for them, really, uh, especially with you know the value that they picked at. I think they really did well. And I know it's not the flashy picks and a lot of people... You Atlanta Falcons fans are notorious for just wanting the flashy pick. Y'all want the best player in the draft every year. I mean, hell, y'all would have wanted, I'm sure, you know, play or y'all Falcons, some of y'all's Falcons fans were wanting Kyler Murray. I mean, y'all are Dexter, just, Dexter Lawrence is what I heard mostly, but I mean, I, I agree with you that. I mean, honestly, though, what fan base doesn't want the flashy picks? Yeah, you know, course, you want that yeah, big name are, guy out of college, like, oh, we just it. got, you know, like, it is what it is. I like what the Falcons did. I thought we drafted just, everything right. The only beef I have with y'all Atlanta Falcons fans is how quickly, not, not to say you, but like a lot of Atlanta Falcons. I'd say it's 60% how quickly they just throw Matt Ryan under the bus. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. pisses me off because he's a great quarterback. And I think it's ridiculous that they do that kind of thing. But that's what I'm saying. To, about Outside of probably like six or seven teams in the league would be blessed to have Matt Ryan as their quarterback. You oh, know, 100%. so I mean, even, I, agree with you. I mean, even I'm, I'm saying he's a top three quarterback, 100%. No, absolutely, absolutely. Anything else you think we need to cover on the draft? Uh, no, I think we can wrap this one up. We're going for about 56 minutes. Uh, that's about what we were uh, getting at right there. So I think that we're going to wrap it up. I do want to end with a quote of the day from our boy, uh, Damian Lillard, the man, the myth. Great he quote. Is awesome. I saw this quote the other day, and I absolutely thought it was just the best thing ever. I'm trying to find it real quick, but it was about how he handled pressure. And the quote, quote for quote, 
They pretty much asked him what the pressure was of hitting that buzzer beater. He said, pressure? Nah. Fam, this is just playing ball. Pressure is the homeless man who doesn't know where his next meal is coming from. Pressure is the single mom who is trying to scuffle and pay her rent. We get paid a lot of money to play a game. Don't get me wrong, there are challenges, but to call it pressure is almost an insult to regular people. I think that goes to show you how humble this guy is. He comes from humble beginnings. I think that he has probably one of the best heads on his shoulders of any NBA player in the league, and I absolutely love that from him. So he's 100% gained. Well, I was already a fan, but he he's made me 100% love him. When I th- I think he's one of my top five players. Yeah, I absolutely love that quote too. Like you just said, I mean, great guy, great all around player. Got to love every single thing about Dame. But I mean, that's about all I got to say. Oh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa! You know what? We almost made it this far without bringing up his oh, name. Oh, come on. There we go. We talked about LeBron James. This is officially a sports podcasting. It's officially a sports talk show. As long as you bring up LeBron James' name, then it's officially a sports talk and show. Zion so. too. And don't forget, I'm not going to stop doing it. Tiger is back. He's back. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we, go. we covered all the mainstream topics as well for y'all right there. So there we go. Just thought we'd do that for y'all real quick. But Arya Stark, and- athlete of the week. I already said it. Uh, you can close it out now, Thomas. I'm good. <laughs> uh, this is about all we got for y'all today. Um, once again, follow me on Twitter at Hot Takes with CP3 on Instagram at CP3 underscore NBA underscore bets. Been it's been a pretty good run. I mean, lost that Raptors one unfortunately last night, but bounced back with the Nuggets. So it's been a good run lately, and hopefully we can keep on winning. But that's all I got for y'all. Brad, any parting words? Nope. Peace. Boom.